pray to Philippians 3. Today, Philippians chapter 3. The question. I've entitled this sermon, Future Focus Forgetting. It might be that input, that new input, okay. I've entitled it, uh, Future Focused Forgetting. So here's the question. Are you living your life in the rearview mirror or the windshield? Let's talk about that. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? Philippians chapter 3. We're actually going to start in verse 1. And then we will read through verse 16. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in King Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Pretty good record. But, verse 7, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And now this is our text today, this last section, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by this same rule. Let us be of the same mind. This is the word of the living God, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. That great country theologian, Johnny Cash, said this, you build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. 
Close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it have any of your energy, any of your time, or any of your space. I guess in a way what he's saying is stop looking back. When the past calls, listen, it's got nothing new to say to you. So to that end, join me as the humble apostle reveals the secret to his powerful and purposeful life. And the first thing I want you to see in your outline this morning that you have there you can fill in is, I see here a humble evaluation in the beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And then verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. Now, if anybody was there, it was probably this guy, especially where he's in prison because of the gospel. I mean, outside of Jesus, who's in a category by himself, I, would you all agree with me that Paul's the, Paul's the next one? Right? If anybody had arrived, it was, it was this guy. And remember, he just gave you his spiritual resume, and he said it's all garbage. Literally, the word there is sewage. He said, I consider all that stuff like we would consider sewage, something to be put away from that is offensive to us, and we don't want to be around it. He says nothing compared to gaining Christ. And so he's got this humble evaluation. It's not that he's building himself up. He said, I, if by any means, I want to I be resurrected from the dead. I want to I I attain to that. That's my goal in life. Is that one day after I die, when, when the king calls and the trumpet sounds, I want to come up out of that grave. Amen? Amen. That's going to be a great day. The old timers used to call it the great getting up morning. Amen? And you know what? That don't mean a whole lot to you until you got people that's going to get up out of that grave that you love, that you planted there in that earth. Your dad, my dad. What a great getting up morning that's going to be. Amen? When those people come up out of that grave, and we do too, and man, we're, we're together, a great reunion, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the Apostle Paul tells us in his first letter to the Thessalonians. But you know what? We can, we can get a little prideful sometimes. We can, uh, we can start to look down on those less mature Christians and say, you know what, they just, man, those people just don't have their life together. All right? You ever been around those people kind of look down there? You just get that feeling that they're, they're judging you and they're looking down their nose at you because they've got it together and you don't. Right? Don't you love being around those folks? And that's not what Paul's about. He say, hey, look, I'm pushing hard to get to the resurrection of the dead. That's my goal. But I don't want you to think that I've already arrived. Now, now we love to lock down our faith, but Paul said, hey, I'm not there yet. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that pride is so deep within us that we must repent of our repentance. I love that. By which he meant that even our repenting is tinged with pride, isn't it? Uh, for example, we say, look at me. I, I'm honest enough to repent of my sins. I, I'm, not, I'm not like you. I don't cover things up. And sin is so much within us that even our confession contains within it the very seeds of our next transgression. How I many of you know that's true? Prideful people. Paul said, man, that's not me. It's not what I'm, you think, folks, that's not what I'm saying. 
So he's got a humble evaluation. Paul, Paul is not self-deluded. The next thing I see in the next part of that verse is a holy aspiration. Paul's got a holy aspiration here. He says, but I, here, here's what I do. I, I'm not there yet, but here's what I am doing. I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus, King Jesus literally there, has also laid hold of me. I want you to think over that last phrase, that King Jesus took hold of me. That's what Paul is saying. The whole of the Christian life, I think, can be wrapped up in these six words. Listen to these six words. Or in those six words, Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Has he taken a hold of you? I mean, has he really? Have you ever met someone that it was pretty obvious that Christ had taken a hold of their life? And they just lived different. For them to live was Christ. Philippians 1.21. Because at the end of the day, here's the reality. Christ found me. Christ saved me. And Christ got a purpose for my life. How much of that had to do with me? None of it. He did the finding. I was lost. He did the saving. I was dead in my sins. And he gave me the purpose for which I was to live the rest of my life. I didn't do that. I just get to be a part of it. Someone once said, and I like it, the supreme purpose of my life is to discover His purpose for me. We talked about it in our D group this morning. You're not, you're not happy. You're not fulfilled until you're doing what you were created to do. And at the end of the day, we're all created to serve, worship, and obey Christ. But there's some specifics underneath that that we get and God gives to us through spiritual gifting um, and, and applying that. And boy, when you're doing that, it's amazing. Uh, I, I've started teaching some Bible classes at a local Christian school here in town. And uh, my wife asked me after my first full week, she said, uh, are, how are you liking it? And I said, you know, much to my surprise, I'm, I love it. I absolutely love it. I said, it's like, it's like getting to preach several times a day. Now, I'm not preaching. I'm teaching the Bible. But being able to exercise the spiritual gift that God gave me, I was afraid my, I would have no energy left after the morning. But I, I do. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up when I leave that place. I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun because I've been in God's Word with a bunch of kids you know, for the first few hours. That's exciting, man. That just fires me up. And that's how this is supposed to work. The supreme purpose of my life is to discover His purpose for me. And I know that God put me on the planet to teach and declare this book, the truth of the gospel. And I'll tell you what, I am never happier than when I'm doing that. You say, well, I don't think God's gifted me for that. Well, He might not have. But He might gifted you with your hands. you got the gift of serving or, or, or creating craftsmanship. God, God gives you that to use for His glory. So we have this idea here that Paul is saying, hey, I'm pushing. Here's, here's what I'm pushing forward. Number three, I see a hearty determination in verse 13. Look at verse 13 in your text this morning. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on, and I love this, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Do you know he, Jesus got a hold of you for a reason? Y'all realize that today? He, he got a hold of you for a reason. And the, and the more mature I get in the Word and in life, I realize that reason 
really don't have a whole lot to do with me. And it seems offensive at first, but it's a mighty comforting as you grow up in the Lord. It's a good thing. Because if it's about me, it ends when I'm gone. But if it's about Him, it carries on. I get to leave a legacy. Isn't that exciting? And that, that's what I think he's saying here. But I see a hearty determination in verse 13. He goes on to say this, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting those things right behind, I press forward. One thing I do. He said, I'm not there yet, but here's his hearty determination. And notice the fierce concentration implicit in those words, one thing I do. And how many, of you, how many of you realize in your Bible, if you've got a good, good translation, and I assume most of you do, what do you notice about those words, I do, in your Bible? They're italicized. You all know what that means? I talked about that to my Romans class this week. They didn't know it. They thought it meant emphasis. I said, nope. It's, it's an addition. These words are not in the Greek text of the New Testament. They're added English words so it makes sense. So, but literally what Paul is saying there, he, sa he says, I'm not there yet, guys, but one thing. Now, they add I do because that could get a little fuzzy. But think about it. He says, I'm not there yet, but one thing. He was all about one thing. And how many of you know that uh, that is the secret that applies across the board to excel in anything in your life? I don't care what it is, football. Uh, fishing, business, whatever. The secret to that, to excel in one area of life, is that a person has to say this one thing, not these 20 things. I'm reading a book right now that my Texas son, Zach, recommended, and I, I recommend it. Y'all should go read it. It's called Deep Work. Now, it's got a new agey title. It has nothing to do with that. It's about isolated, focused, intense intellectual work on one subject, on one thing, for several hours at a time with no distractions. It gives the illustration up front of one guy that literally went, he had some property up in the mountains, and he literally built a tower. He built a tower on his property, and he would leave all of his electronics in the car, and he would go barricade himself in the tower. Young man, barricade himself in that tower for hours at a time. So he had focused, concentrated. He did one thing. As a result, he is world-renowned expert in his area. And he attributes it to what he calls deep work or focused labor, focused concentration on one thing. How many of you know we are very distracted people, right? You get to try to do more than one thing, and it really doesn't work out. Paul didn't say, these 20 things I do. Take out a pen, Philippians, and write down these 20 things you need to be doing. Paul said, no, one thing. One thing only. My whole life is about one thing. A single-minded focus in any endeavor generally wins a great reward. Greatness in any arena comes to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. And in his case, it meant looking to the kingdom goal of winning the prize. What's your, here's a question for you. Write this down in your outline. What's your one thing? If, if, if you had to ask your children or your spouse or your best friend to say, write down a piece of paper, what's my one thing? Would that be hard for them or could they nail it? They said, no, here's what your life's all about. Right now, for my 
young men living in my house, I'm pretty sure theirs is eating all my food as quickly as possible. <laughs> I'm laying in bed the other night. It's like one in the morning. And I've, I've, I, my nose has become super sensitive since our house burned down. And I smelled something cooking at one in the morning. I thought, oh, my word, where's a fire? I go running down into the kitchen in my drawers, and this guy's here's making a stir fry, man. He's got chicken in there and rice and, and, and peas and onions. And he's, he's, like, he's like Chef Walk over there just making himself a stir fry at one o'clock in the morning. He's all about eating. Look at the size of these boys. Y'all pray for me. I got to sell my blood to get enough money to feed these guys. Sam, you're literally bleeding me dry. No pun intended. What's your one thing? What is it that you are all about? One thing. That hearty determination. Paul's one thing is that he, he was going after the kingdom goal. He, there was a prize that he wanted to win. And that phrase covers all that God has done for us when we finally stand before Jesus Christ and hear him say this, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of our Lord. And Paul says, Paul says there, I got one thing that I'm after and one thing only. Now, in order to go after one thing and one thing only, there's some other things you got to do. Y'all realize that? And that's, the title of, that's why I titled the sermon what I did, Future Focused Forgetting. You got, you got to forget some stuff. You got to forget it. So letter A there is forgetting what is behind. So this one thing I do, what's the one thing? He starts with a negative. And he said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, I just want to deal with that first part, forgetting. How many of you know that if you're going to get somewhere in life, there's a lot of stuff you've got to forget? You know, if, if you're a movie lover, this phrase will have meaning to you. If not, you'll think I'm going back to my Yankee roots. But there's a saying in New York City, they say, forget about it. <laughs> hey, forget about it. What's that mean? Don't worry about it. Let that go. I, I've, taken that, I've taken that debt off my record. Forget about it. You know what? That's what we need to do. We need to forget about the past. How many of you know that past can hold you back from your future? Some of you are living so much in the past, you don't even know what tomorrow looks like. In Charles Racklin's Flood's book called Lee, The Last Years, he tells of a time after the Civil War when Robert E. Lee visited a woman who showed him the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her home. And there she cried bitterly that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by the Union artillery fire. And then she waited for Lee to condemn the North, or, or at a minimum to at least sympathize with her and her loss of this beautiful tree and her hatred of the Union. Lee paused, and he turned to her and said, Cut it down, madam, and forget it. You know what? Y'all need to cut down some trees. And you need to forget about it. What do we need to forget? What do we need to forget? I think we need to forget a couple of things here. And then I'm going to remind you what Paul forgot. It might surprise you. Here's two. You need to forget past failures. 
And along with that, you need to forget past successes. I got a, we got a tendency, I, I think it's our past successes that hold us back more than our failures. Because we love us and me, myself, and I, we're eager to forgive us. But it's the successes that we live in. Boy, you remember the good old days when fill in the blank. Right? Past successes. We need to forget defeats and victories. And we need to forget our sins. But we need to also forget our good deeds that we did yesterday too. You say, Paul, why are you, why are you saying I need to forget the good things? Because that's what Paul forgot. Do you remember his list? Born, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, just exactly how you're supposed to be. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. I had no mixed blood in my family. My lines were pure. My bloodlines are pure. Uh, I'm a Pharisee, top of the top, religious zealot for the Lord. All this with so much zeal, I persecuted the church. Right? All of this stuff. Look at me. Look at all this good stuff that I have done. You know what Paul said? That's all. You know what I think about that stuff? Like sewage. That's how much I think about my list, my good list. And we can think about all we've done for the Lord. That's sewage, man. For what? That I might gain Christ. I want Him. It's not about, and, and a servant, it, it, that's what Paul said, I'm a servant, right? Do servants look for reward or credit? No, because the, their identity is to serve. And so we got to forget the good stuff too. I'll never forget when, when, when the Lord just arrested my soul and brought me into a very keen and painful awareness of my sin and my state at the age of 15. You know what almost screwed that up for me? I went to a Christian school, Quinn, and bad idea, but they had the, the biggest trophy at the end of the year. You have the end of year program and had all these trophies they pass out for athletics and whatever. But the biggest trophy, and no lie, it was like this, this, this tall. And there was two of them. It was one for a guy and one for a young lady. And it was the outstanding male Christian of the year. And would you believe at the age of 15, I won that award, the, most, the Outstanding Male Christian of the Year at Enfield Christian Academy. Here's the rest of the story. I wasn't even a Christian. <laughs> I wasn't even saved yet. Now, I had prayed a prayer and gotten wet when I was eight. But I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't mean you're born again child of God. That means you prayed a prayer and got wet. And I acted on what I knew at that point in my life. But boy, at the age of 15, I'll never forget, sitting in that chapel service at Camp Life in upstate New York, in Bear Mountain, New York, and that guy preaching, Rick Schusler. He's a missionary to the Bahamas right now. I know that's a hard thing to think. A missionary to the Bahamas? He really is. He really is a missionary to the Bahamas. Uh, and I'll never forget Rick saying, he says, so many of you, he called us professional church kids, and that was me. Born on Friday, in church on Sunday. That's my list. That's Paul, like Paul Apostle saying, circumcised the eighth day. Yeah, that's nothing. I was in church when I was three days old. I can count on that hand how much church I'm two days old. Mom just corrected me. I never was good at math. Uh, uh, 
And kind of one hand, the Sundays I've missed, I had chapters of Scripture memorized by the time I was 15 years old. I could give you the plan of salvation, and I did. I went out evangelizing and witnessing every Thursday night with the pastors of the church. And I was as lost as could be. I was as dead on the inside. I was, I was in rebellion against God. I was undone, and if I'd have died, I'd have split hell wide open, and I'd have gone to hell hanging on to a three-foot-tall trophy that said I, I was the whole bag of chips. And you know what? When old Rick preached that sermon, said, y'all going to miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart. You know all about God, but you don't know him, and worse yet, he don't know you. And one day what you're going to hear is not well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to hear, depart from me. I don't know who you are. And all my list, I ain't going to lie to you, I was, pretty, I was pretty proud of that list. And that trophy became sewage to me in an instant. In an instant. For two reasons. Number one, I realized how much trouble I was in for the first time in my life. And when God awakens the dead spirit of a rebellious sinner... The first thing you know, you don't know much, but you know this, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. What have I done? And God let me know in no uncertain terms exactly what I had done. And I started to see it for the first time in my life. It terrified me. Because there's something else I knew because of all that scripture I had memorized. God was a holy God. He didn't play about sin. And, 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 and God was storing up wrath for people just like me. Self-righteous, good list, grade A, dead sinners who played the church game. That list nearly dragged me to hell. So I used that Outstanding Christian of the Year trophy as an anchor, and I threw it all in the sea of God's forgetfulness. And I repented of my sin. And it wasn't something I had to dream up or work up. I'm telling you what, I was flooded with a holy hatred for my sin at that moment because I saw what it did to Jesus Christ on the cross. And my list became garbage to me. And you know what? The sermon I preached last week, throw it in a sea of God's forgetfulness too. It's not about last week. It's not about anything I've done. I get to do this stuff. Right? Forget those things which are behind. Then I notice a heavenly inclination. This is the last part of verse 13 and the first part of verse 14. Here's what Paul says. I love his language here, too. Here's what I do. One thing. It's a two-part of one thing. As Paul is looking at all the good things, even the stuff he's still doing for the Lord. Has Paul done a lot for the Lord? He's evangelized. He has evangelized almost the entire area north of Jerusalem, north of uh, Palestine. He even got to bump into Europe and took the gospel to Europe for the first time 
in this very church when he got to Philippi. Brings the gospel to a new continent. And he wasn't done. His hope was, before it was over, he was going to get to go to Spain. That's where he was headed. He was going to evangelize all of Spain. Now, it didn't happen because he died in Rome. He was executed. But that man had plenty. Had he done a lot for the Lord? Oh, my. Did he have a list? Boy, did he, did he care about that list? No. Even the, even the stuff he'd done post-Damascus Road for Jesus, he said, you know what? That, that's, that's not in my purview. I'm a servant, and I don't brag about my servant. It's just what I do. All that stuff that I'm doing, I'm not even really doing it. It's Christ that's doing it through me. I do it out of love and obedience. I forget all that stuff. And while I'm forgetting, I turn that all. I don't have time to forget because I'm too busy going forward. That's, the, that's what Paul's saying here. In verse number 13, it says, Forgetting those things which are behind, I do what? Reaching forward to those things that are where? Ahead. And then verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm reaching forward. I'm pressing. I'm striving. You know what he's saying? You know how you forget the past? You get busy in the present. Tom wrote a book. Every, every man should read it. Some of you women too. But I think it's a good guide. But, but it's really for everybody, isn't it, Tom? It's called Get Your Head in the Game. Get Your Head in the Game. And, and it's a great little book because he gives you some very practical steps on how to get something done. And one of the, one of the first ways to get something done is get out of yesterday and get in today. Amen? Because if you don't get out of yesterday in order to get in today, you're never going to enjoy tomorrow. And Paul saying, here's the one thing that I do. I got no time. I got no time for my list. Because I'm too busy pushing forward. I got no time for yesterday. I'm too busy pushing forward today. Are you? Who and what are we living for? But Paul said, man, I'm living for him. I'm pushing forward. I'm reaching forward. I'm pressing in. And it's interesting, that word reaching and pressing, listen to this, and jot this down in your notes. It's the same word in verse 6 where he says persecuting the church. It's the same word as persecuting. You say pressing or press forward towards them. That word press, it's the same word as persecuting. You know what Paul was doing? He was pressing, he was striving to wipe out this heretical element of Judaism called followers of the way. That was the name of the first church. He, was, he said, I was giving 100% of my energy to destroying this cult that he would later join and become the leader of as a missionary, which was the church, the followers of the way. Paul said, I was giving 100%. I devoted my entire life to nothing more than killing these people who said that this guy from Nazareth was actually God's king and Messiah. I'm going to kill them all, even if it kills me to do it. And he was... He was, he'd already killed people. He was, he was pressing to be successful of wiping out what he considered to be heresy. And it's the same word, persecuted and pressing. In 1905, there was a young man from a very wealthy family, and he entered Yale University. And his family intended that uh, after completing his degree, he would enter a suitable career in America. But God gripped his heart with the needs of China. And didn't this young man volunteer to go to the 
to China with the gospel, much to the dismay of his family and friends. So he boarded a ship and left America and never made it to China. He succumbed to a disease and died before reaching that shore. They buried him in the middle of the ocean. After his death, his few things were gathered and returned to his family. His mother found a note in his Bible that summarized his life, and here's what he said. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I wonder how many of us can say the same thing. <laughs> no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I'm forgetting the past because I don't have time for it because I'm pressing into the future. Little did he know his future was right in front of him and it would be a glorious one. Not on the mission field in China. but in front of the throne of God in heaven. You say, oh, what a sad story. No, it's a glorious story. He died obeying his king. Do you see it? He pressed forward. Someone once said, the problem in the church today is we have too many amateur Christians. People who are just dabbling in the faith. When the famous missionary, Dr. David Livingston, returned from Africa to England, he was asked, where are you ready to go next? I am ready to go anywhere, Livingston replied, provided it be forward. Provided it be forward. That's got to be our attitude every single day. I want to ask you a question. Three questions, actually. Write these down. What is the goal of your life? What are you after? What is so pressing, <clears throat> so prescient, and so powerful in your life that it allows you to forget your list and push forward into, in, into chasing that goal? Why are you here? Here's, here's another way of asking that, but in a different way. The second question is, why did you get up this morning? What got you up this morning? What gets you out of bed? I tell you what, when, when life for me and, and my walk with King Jesus is clicking on all eight cylinders, I don't need an alarm clock. And my wife can tell you, I've been up at three and four in the morning, five at the latest for weeks now, because I can't wait to get in here. I can't wait to, I have to write my prayers out. I have ADD so bad. But when I write my prayers, I can actually stay focused. I, I will literally write 20 pages of prayers because so many of you people are so naughty, you need them. <laughs> and half of those, I'm telling God on you. Mostly my children, I'm telling them. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> I'm praying. I can't wait to get up and do that. Gets me out of bed in the morning. I get out of bed. I'm like, man, I get to teach Romans to these young people today. Open their eyes to what, that, what God's word says through Paul's pen to these people he's never met. Pull in the historical context and blow their mind. I get to teach life of Christ. When I told those kids the other day that John Mark 
You know him as Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, was very likely Peter's son. It blew their mind. Did you know that? Go read the last verse of 1 Peter. He says it right in there. Mark, my son. And there's other internal evidence. Blew their I love this. I can't wait to get the day started. What gets you out of bed? Here's a third question. Why are you still here? Why do you think you're still borrowing God's air? Why do you think God's still letting your heart beat? Why are you still alive? We got to answer those questions. Paul had no problem with all of them. It was this, I am pressing, pushing, straining to get a prize. Paul wanted that prize. Look what he says in verse 14. I press towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul knew? Paul knew that one day he's going to be done. His ticket was getting punched. And when he stood before his king, he fully intended to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart from me, I never knew you. What are you going to hear? And why, maybe more important, why do you think you're going to hear what you think you're going to hear? You think it's just because you're the pastor's son? I got news for you. Hell is going to be full of pastor's sons. Here's another, here's another news. Hell's going to be full of pastors and deacons and elders. Hell's going to be full of Sunday school teachers. Hell's going to be full of people who got a trophy that said they're an outstanding Christian when they were the worst pagan in the room and the biggest idolater. What are you, what are you, what's your hope in? What are you living for? And then lastly, I see this. I just want to mention this briefly, but I love it. Paul sees a hope-filled, mature unification. Verses 15 and 16. Paul says, I'm going to get that prize. I'm telling you right now, I'm getting, I'm getting that prize. What is that prize? That prize is a well done. How many of you like to be commended? You like when people commend you? I like when people commend me. Good job. I was at the football game, Sam's game the other night. And uh, Quinn and all his buddies graduated, so I had no idea who's num who was in their, your old jerseys. Apparently they're not retiring the jerseys. I'm like, who in the world are these people? All I know is number seven. And he apparently is all over the field that night. He would play like a madman. It was so fun to watch. So who are these people? And I'm asking around, and I'm getting answers, and I'm trying to type it in my phone. And finally, I hear two mamas down the bench from me say, um, one of them said, well, I've got a picture on my phone. She said, what's your name? And I said, Paul Jettle. And she goes, wait a minute, are you the famous Mr. Jettle that's teaching Romans? <laughs> and, she, and she didn't say infamous, so that gave me some hope. She said, well, I said, I might be if, 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 if you got good news. She goes, man, my daughter is loving your class. And I got to tell you, we have had some of the most interesting discussions around our dinner table since you started teaching Romans. I like that. That made me feel good. You know why? Because that's what I'm pushing, not for that prize. That's great. That feels good. That's a bonus. What the prize I'm, I'm looking forward to is checking out of this place and hearing my king say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. <laughs> Come see what I got for you now. That's what I want to hear one day. And the problem is we live in a, we live in a time where all the good preachers are dead and, and I don't feel well. That was a joke. You all are terrible. 
terrible. People aren't telling you the truth anymore. It's all 10 ways you can have a better life here. That's garbage. We don't have time. You don't have time for self-help. You know what you need? You need self-crucifixion is what you need. You need to be told what and who you are outside of Jesus Christ. And there's a whole big list. It's got good, bad, and ugly on it. And all of that you need to forget because you don't have time for any of that mess. You're pressing forward. You're straining. Just like that ball is straining to get over that goal line. You don't need to be over by much, does it? An inch will do. You kill yourself to get there. That's what we need to be doing. And Paul said, I got a lot of hope that we're going to all do this together. And I join him in that. Verse 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, and notice this explanatory phrase, as many of us are mature. How many of you know all of us are not mature? How many of you are glad some of us are? That's why my house is not run as a democracy. Because the immature outnumber the mature. By the way, moms and dads, don't ever give your children a vote. They're too young to handle that. That's why God gave them to you. Right? Some of us are mature and some aren't. But Paul says, let us, the mature ones, have or embrace this mind. Second time he said that. Do you remember the first time in, in chapter 2? Let this mind be at home in you, this attitude be at home in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. This is the humble mindset of the mature. Let, let uh, Have this mind, if in any thing you think otherwise, God will reveal even that to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, what that means is to the degree that we've already learned a bunch of stuff walking with King Jesus and pushing for the goal, to that degree, let's walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. I don't know, I've noticed this over the years, mature minds always belong to humble people. You ever notice that? I have never seen a proud, mature person. I'm trying to think of the guy who wrote that book. Sam, you were looking at it at one point in the youth group called uh, Thoughts for Young Men. Who was that? J.C. Ryle. Thank you, Paul. J.C. Ryle said this, there's two things that are rare on the face of the earth. A young man who is humble and an old man who is satisfied. Right? I have always noticed that Maturity belongs to the humble who have the attitude of Christ. You know why? They have room for other ways to view situations and circumstances. And that's what Paul's saying here. You mature people, you know what I'm talking about. And you might see it a little bit differently, and that's okay. Paul says, I'm fine with that. But we need to all have this same mindset that while we are forgetting... We're pushing forward. We're striving. So let's all be on that page. That's what Paul says. And unity is not uniformity. We can have the same mind but different perspectives. So what? At the end of the day, what are we supposed to do with this? Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to wake up. You need to stop you need to stop thinking that everything's fine and living out of the past and we've got to start pressing forward. Because you know what? Just like Paul said, he said, 
I'm pushing towards that prize, man, that goal. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He literally means the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what he didn't know is it wasn't going to be very long. He was going to experience exactly that. It was coming. It was coming fast. Paul didn't even know it. Didn't matter. He was too busy forgetting and striving. And we need to be too. Because one day they're going to roll your body right out. If you're still here around in this church and you know I'm right, they're going to roll your casket right up here. And I want to tell you two things about that day. Number one, I will not lie about your life. I won't do it. I stood at a funeral yesterday. I did not lie and I shocked that family. But I said, do not live like this man. And his life actions are not on you, but your life actions are. And then I gave them the gospel. I'm going to tell the truth about you. Because you're done. But there's people going to come to your funeral that aren't. I came across this poem one time and I, I learned to love it. I use it on occasion at funerals of people that I've really felt lived a good life and did know the Lord. And it, and it goes like this. It said, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of his friend. And he noted the dates on her tombstone from beginning to end. And, and he pointed out that first came the date of her birth, but he spoke that last date with tears. Then he said what mattered most of all was that little dash between those years. Because you see, that dash represented all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her can even know what that little line was worth. Because it matters not how much you've owned your cars, a house, the cash. You know what matters? It's how you've lived and loved and how you spent your dash. So think about it long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? And do you really know how much time is left that those very things can be rearranged? I mean, if we would just slow down enough, consider what's true, what's real, and always try to understand the way other people feel, and be less quick to anger, and show our appreciation more, and love those people in our lives like we've never loved before, and if we would just treat each other with respect, and more often wear a smile, knowing that that special dash might last only a little while. So, when your eulogy is read with all your life's actions to rehash, I want to ask you, are you going to be proud about the things they say about how you spent your dash? It wasn't all that long after Paul wrote these words that a Roman centurion separated Paul's head from his body. And in a moment, he received the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and he won the prize. What about you? Would you stand with me? I'm going to have our musicians come. We're going to sing our response song. But I want to ask you a question. I think it's a fair one. And I don't care about and 
embarrassing people or not embarrassing people. What I'm about to ask you is heaven and hell serious. And it's simply this. Are you living your life in the rearview mirror or in the windshield? What are you pressing into? What are you after? What have you been holding on to that you need to let go of? What in your past is anchoring your future? Here's the real question at the end of the day. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? And do you know the good that God's up to? Do you know Him? If you died right now, or on your way home, God forbid, you will wake up in the presence of God. Here's the thing. He's either going to be your justifier or your judge. There's no in-between. If you died today, are you confident that King Jesus would stand between you and a righteous God and say, I bore all his sin. He's got my record. And I know him. He's one of ours, Dad. Can you say that today? Or can you sit here today and say, you know what? Nope, I can't say that for real. Don't walk out those doors without taking care of that. You say, preacher, what do I got to do? Nothing. He's done it. Not something you have to do. It's something you've got to believe and receive. You got to believe that you got a sin problem and you can't fix it. You got to believe that God sent his holy, precious son to live 33 and a half years and never once commit a sin, become the only person before or since qualified to take the sin of somebody like you. And he did it. God literally placed all of your sin, past, present, and future, into the body of Jesus, Peter tells us. And he bore an eternity in hell in six hours on the cross in your place. And all our part of that is, is to be awakened to our sin and to just be honest and admit it and own it. And then trust God for the difference. And you know what? That whole sin, that's me. That is me. I have, I deserve eternity in hell. But that preacher said that Jesus died for me. For me. And I believe him. Because it came right out of that book. So I received Jesus' death in my place. And I'm done with that sin. No more. Turn away from that, I turn towards Jesus. And I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. You say, preacher, really? That does it? That does it. It really does. Don't just change your life. It changes the life to come. God gives you the ability to forget and to press. That's what you need to do. I wonder today, if you're here today, can you say, I'm confident. I'm pressing. I'm confident that I have received the Son and I've turned away from my sin and I've been forgiven. If you can, you need to do that today, right now, as we 